Moab. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road for what would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. So these daughters are going, Hey, we're going to stay with you. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am not going to have any more sons who could become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? So she's going, if I got pregnant like right now, you'd still have to wait like 20 years, okay? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's bitter for me. It's better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Oprah, not Oprah, I'm going to do that a lot today. So Orpah basically is saying, yeah, I'm going home. But Ruth didn't. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back to her. But here's a famous part of this book. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So basically she's saying, okay, my daughter-in-law's stubborn. I'm not going to fight this. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi that's come back? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call them me Mara. I'll explain that later. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is an amazing story. Okay, I want to take a closer look at the two main characters here, Naomi and Ruth, and I'll start with Naomi. And as I'm talking about them, find yourself in their story and see where this story leads you in this upcoming year. First of all, Naomi, her name means pleasant, and it also is thought to be related to the Hebrew word for fullness. And at first, that's exactly what Naomi's life was. It was pleasant and full. She was married. She had two healthy sons. Things were good. Life was good. But her circumstances changed quickly and drastically. First, we're told that she lived in the time of judges. I don't know if you caught that line. It's easy to read right past it. This is significant because for an Israelite, which she was, the time of judges was not a good era. It was a time where they were constantly being oppressed by foreign powers. And if it wasn't enough to be conquered by one enemy after another, they were also screwing up their own lives because of their own moral degeneracy. It's recorded in the book of Judges, actually, in the Bible. It says this, everyone at this time did what was right in their own eyes. So all the people were living by the motto, if it feels good, do it. And that never goes well for a tribe or a nation. 
Also, it says that she lived in Bethlehem, and the word Bethlehem actually means, it's where Jesus was born, house of bread. But the problem was there was no bread in the house of bread because there was a famine going on, so she packs her bags and moves to Moab. And again, it's easy to read right past that and go, so what? So she moved to the next town. That's not what is happening here. Moab, they were the arch enemies of her people. They're arch enemies. They hated one another. The Moab's religious practices included child sacrifice. So the Moab's in, in Ruth and Naomi's eyes, not in, Na- in Ruth's eyes, but in Naomi's eyes, were repugnant and evil. And then her sons end up marrying Moabite women. This would have been a nightmare for her as an Israelite. That'd be like your kids coming up to you and saying, Oh, Mom, Dad, I'm engaged to a flesh-eating zombie. Okay, that's about what it was like for Naomi to hear that her sons had married Moabite women. And maybe you can relate to Naomi in her desperation. She had to move to Moab for help. Have you ever been so desperate for help, maybe at work or your own personal life, that you had to ask that person for help? That person that you usually try to avoid, that person that makes your skin crawl when they walk into the room, but you're so desperate for help you have to ask them, that's what was going on with Naomi. It was so humbling and so demoralizing. So things are bad for Naomi, and they get even worse. It reminds me of a phrase. I'll pop it up on the screen right now. It says, apparently rock bottom has a basement, okay? And it does, and Naomi is finding her way in to that basement. Things get worse because her husband dies. This makes her a widow in a patriarchal culture, Widows at that time were incredibly vulnerable. They had no voice. They had no rights. They had hardly any job prospects other than prostitution. So things aren't good for her, but at least she has her sons until she doesn't because they croak too. Say, Naomi is not the kind of person, if you met a modern-day Naomi and you were on an elevator and this Naomi-like person got on the elevator, you would get off and take the stairs and go, no, thank you, because calamity seems to follow her around from one place to the next. Naomi's life had gone from pleasant and full to painful and empty, and the pain was so intense in her life, it warped her view of things. First of all, it warped her view of herself. She no longer wanted to be called Naomi. She wanted to be called Mara, which means bitter. She just felt like her whole life was bitter and there was no hope. And then this pain also warps her view of God. She no longer saw God as a loving presence in her life. She saw God as an adversary, as an enemy. She says his fist is against me. That's her picture of God. That's a lot of people's picture of God, actually. His fist is against me. She's like the anti-Cinderella. Her life just goes from bad to worse to worse. And I know some of you can relate. One of my greatest privileges as a pastor is to get invited into people's lives and hear their stories, and I've heard many of yours. And I, I wish I had a dollar for all the time I heard the same question asked to me. Many of you have asked it, and I like it when people ask me, okay? It's a great question. But they ask me, Tim, you're a pastor. You know God really well. Okay. Okay, I do. I actually, I think I do. I don't know, but I think we all do. But then they go, if God loves me so much, 
why is my life a smoldering suck fest of pain? That's basically the question I get asked all the time, all the time, all the time, okay? Yeah, if you've ever asked that question, then you get Naomi. You see yourself in her story, don't you? It's just the world that we live in. It happens. Naomi, if you read the rest of the book, it's only three more chapters, please read it. You realize she never gets an answer for why all these awful things happen. Neither neither does Job in the book of Job. Neither do we most of the time. We don't know why catastrophe follows us around sometimes. It's the world we live in. Catastrophe happens. That's a politically pastoral correct way to say that phrase, okay? But what gives us hope in this story is the fact that the pain wasn't the end of Naomi's story. When you read the next few chapters, you see that goodness makes a comeback. In the final chapter, she's referred to as Naomi again. The bitterness is gone from her life because of what God did in her life. She's referred to as Naomi. And not only that, she starts to see God as he truly is. Instead of seeing him as an adversary whose fist is against her, she sees him as a loving presence that stayed with her in the pain. She says of God in the final chapter, he has not stopped showing me kindness, which is a way to say, I see now that God never left me and he's not against me. He's actually for me. But this begs the question, what got Naomi out of the basement of rock bottom? What got her out of the pits? What changed her life? The answer is found in verse 16 and 17. I want to read it again, and I'll put this on the screen. But Ruth replied, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so, be it ever so severely, if even death separates the two of us. Timothy Keller, the author and pastor, has a remarkable statement, a quote about this situation. He says this, I'll put this on the screen. What changed Naomi's life? She was poor. Was it a government program that changed her life? No. All the redemption happened through a friendship. This is the only way that anybody's life is really changed in the end. Yeah! Naomi's life changed because of her friendship with her own daughter-in-law. A daughter-in-law that was so devoted to her, she was willing to leave her own homeland and live where Naomi lived in this foreign country. A daughter that said to her, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. And when she said those words to Naomi, the downward trajectory of Naomi's life was changed, and it started to go upward. That is so amazing. Naomi could move forward now. She could thrive in her life because she knew she was never going to be alone. Last week, I showed you a video of Mike Posner and his song, um, Live Before I Die. If you haven't watched it, you can Google it. It's great. But at the end, I don't know if you caught it, there were some words at the end, and I'll put them on the screen. It said, beginnings always hide themselves in ends. And that is so true. And the hidden beginning for Naomi was uncovered by Ruth. Ruth was basically saying to her mother-in-law, I see more in you than you see in yourself. I see more of you than you see in yourself. My prayer for us in 2020 is this, 
that God would bring people into our life that are that devoted to us, that would look at us and say, I know things are bad, but they're not hopeless because I see more in you and I see more of what's happening in your life than you see in yourself. And my next prayer is this. I pray that God would make us those kind of friends for other people, people who could go to people and say, I see more of you than you see in yourself. Now let's look at Ruth's life a little closer. Ruth has her share of pain too. Her father-in-law died and then her husband died and then Orpah moved away And then she ended up living in a foreign land where she was referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. Some people have great nicknames. Have you ever noticed that? I never got one. I don't know. My parents can never think of any. I was called Rapunzel in high school because my hair was super long. That wasn't that great, okay? But some people have great nicknames. Gordon Matthew Thomas. You musicians know who that is, right? Sting. That's his nickname. Is that not the coolest nickname What's your name? Sting. Yes. Or think of Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul. To be referred to as the queen of anything is kind of cool, okay? But the queen of soul, that's just amazing. And then this is one of my favorite nicknames of all time. I wish I would have had it. It's Charles de Gaulle, who was very fit and tall and slender, and he was referred to as the great asparagus. Is that not just the best nickname ever? The great asparagus? Asparagus is good for you. I would love to come in a room and go, hey, there's Tim the great asparagus. Yes. Okay. I'm a source of strength for you. All right. Well, Ruth's sister, Orpah, is amazing, but we'll get to her in a second. Ruth's nickname, though, was awful. Ruth the Moabitess meant Ruth the outsider. Ruth the unwanted, Ruth the gross. But what made her remarkable is she didn't let this awful moniker define her or discourage her. Now, Orpah moved home, and you cannot blame her. That was the sensible sensible thing to do, the practical thing to do, the safe thing to do. Leave the land that had a famine. Go home to Moab to a people that actually wanted you there. You could live with your parents, meet a guy, have kids, live happily ever after. It was a sensible thing to do. But that's what she did. But Ruth didn't do that, okay? But at times in our own life, let's get personal here, we all have to be Orpah. At times, we all have to go home. Maybe we even have to move back in with our parents, which is no cakewalk for the parents either, okay? Can I just tell you that? Okay, maybe you have to move back in with your parents. Maybe you have to take the boring job to pay the bills because your dream job isn't available yet. Sometimes you got to do the sensible thing, the practical thing. It's okay. That's okay. But Ruth doesn't follow her sister back home. She doesn't do the practical thing. She does the crazy thing. All right? Ruth does the crazy thing. And that is inspiring. We're all going to have these amazing times in our life, these crossroad experiences. It's why when I watch the movie Castaway, at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks is standing at a crossroad wondering which way to go, and I bawled like a little baby. Because we all have times like that in our lives, don't we? Where we think, should I go this way or should I go that way? Should I take this path or should I take that path? This path is practical. It's sensible. Even seems like the smart thing to do. This path is crazy. This path is risky. This path is difficult and scary. And that's what Ruth was faced with. One way was the practical way, the popular way. And that'll happen for you. Should I go that way? But for some reason, 
deep down in your gut for reasons you can't even put into words, you don't want to go that way. You don't want to go the way of Orpah. You don't want to go the safe and practical way. You want to go this way. Oh my gosh, something's humming inside of you and you're thinking to yourself, but if I take this path, it's going to be so much harder, so much more difficult, so much riskier. My family and friends are going to think I'm absolutely cuckoo, but I'm going that way anyway. That's what Ruth did. She didn't do the practical thing. She did the scary thing. She said to herself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live in a land that was famous for its famine with a bitter old woman where I'm considered an unwanted outsider. Yep, that's the path for me. But she did it. She did it. I'm going to put up a few quotes from some people that know a thing or two about taking the risky path. Look what they said about it, okay? If you're not scared a lot, you're not doing very much. That's Robin Sharma. Amazing. Look at this next quote. You know the person, John Shedd, Shedd Institute. A ship in a harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. I love that quote. And here's my favorite one. If you're not willing to risk the unusual, you will have to settle for the ordinary. Oh, sometimes you got to be orpa you got to do the practical thing. It's okay. But sometimes you got to be Ruth. You got to be Ruth. Don't be scared to be Ruth. Don't let the good that you're experiencing right now keep you from experiencing the better. That's where the path of being Ruth leads to. Like Naomi, Ruth also went through a huge transformation. Not only did she live in a foreign land, but she also changed religions. She dropped her old Moabite god. She said, your god will be my god. So she completely switched religions. She took on her lips the name of Yahweh, the Lord of all. What brought about this change? What brought about this remarkable spiritual awakening? Was it a dynamic sermon from a charismatic and rather handsome pastor? No. Was it a really flashy worship session with a Jesus boy band? No. No. What brought about her change was once again friendship. Ruth met God because of her friendship with Naomi. Naomi had the courage to be vulnerable with Ruth. She shared with her own daughter-in-law her struggles and her pain and her heartache. Ruth watched how Naomi suffered. But somehow she suffered, but she maintained her faith and she maintained her dignity and she maintained a sense of grace. Somehow her mother-in-law was able to care for other people even though she was in great amounts of pain. And that's what led Ruth to the Lord. That's what caused her to say, you will be my, your God will be my God. How cool is that? We think what changes people, what's going to bring them closer to God is our perfection and our shininess. Maybe, sometimes, but hardly at all, what's really going to bring them to the Lord is our struggles and our failures and our suffering shown to them in honesty and vulnerability. That's the good stuff. Who knew our bad stuff could end up being the good stuff? So do you want to lead people to Jesus? Great. That is such a great desire to have. Great. I'll tell you the way to do that. Let them see behind the curtain in your life. Be real with them like Naomi was for Ruth because it turns out the best way to connect people to the good news is to show them how you handle the bad news in your life. I'm telling you, it's true. It sounds crazy, but it's true.
All right? Now I want to end with this. I want to end with a little bit about girl power, okay? This book is about remarkable women, their devotion, their ability to deal with heartache and loss and change, their friendship, their love. The heroes in this story are the women. Most of the guys die except one guy named Boaz. He makes it through, okay? But the women are definitely the heroes. Ruth ends up being the grandmother of King David, which puts her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Ruth and Naomi weren't just important figures in their own time period. They end up being important figures in the history of mankind, in the history of humanity. The book of Ruth was so subversive and radical It started decades ago changing people's view of women in their culture. The book of Ruth is like a foreshadow of where things are headed and where they need to continue to head. This book shouts a message to all of humanity and to us living in 2020. And I want to put up the message on the screen so you know what the message is. It's this. It's not all about the dudes. That's the message of the book of Ruth. I kid you not. So to all of you women in here and to your daughters and your granddaughters, I want to say something. And please hear me. I beg of you to hear me. This is what I want to say. I am so sorry from the bottom of my heart. I am so sorry. I am so sorry that our cultures and many other cultures don't give you the value that you deserve or the pay that you have earned. I am so, so sorry for that. And I urge you, don't be silent. Don't be still. Unleash your voice and your giftedness on the world and inside the church. I am so sorry that the church has silenced women for far too long and still continues in some churches to do so. That's a travesty, and it creates great loss in us as the body of Christ because we end up only hearing half the voice of God. So may 2020 be a year where we finally start to live out the message of the book of Ruth and to give women a voice and a place and value. Oh my gosh, it's not all about the dudes. Dudes, do you hear me? (laughs) Did you hear me too? It's not all about us. It's about us a lot, we think, but it's not all about us in the end. Let me pray for us, then I'm going to ask Jay to come up here. we got a couple of announcements and some important church business that we're just going to take a couple of minutes for too. So Jay, come on up here, but let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for this remarkable love story. My prayer for all of us today is that you would send friends into our lives, if we don't have them, that see more in us than we see in ourselves. Friends that could ignite hope in us, Lord, especially when we find ourselves in the basement of rock bottom. And God, we will suffer in this life. It's inevitable. But as we suffer, please use it as a tool to draw other people to you. As they see us suffer, but as we maintain our faith and grace, may they proclaim in their hearts, yeah, I want their God to be my God. And God, please, may 2020 be a year where we remember it's not all about the dudes. It's not all about the men. May we value and hear people no matter what their gender is. Thank you so much. Lord, for this book and all that it teaches us some 2,000 years later. We love you. In your name we pray.
Everyone said? Amen.